0: You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity.
1: Hi, and welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 22. In this episode, we hear from the wonderful Jane Grover, chef and author of the cookbooks, Naked Food, and soon to be released, Our Delicious Adventure. I first came across Jane when I saw one of her cooking demonstrations. She is hilariously funny, really profound, and has some great insight to share on seasonal produce and healthy cooking. In this interview, Jane shares about family, illness, her career, her food philosophies, and her faith in Jesus. You can check out Jane's market tours, speaking engagements, and purchase her books on her wonderful website, janegrover.net. And as always, you can favorite, like, share, subscribe to this podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And you can email me at hello at rachelasimpson.com if you'd like to chat about anything you hear on the podcast or if you've got a suggestion for an interviewee. And now I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Jane Grover.
0: So I was born in Sydney and on the North Shore of Sydney, grew up in a family of two brothers and a sister. Leafy, I remember trees and leafy streets and uh, and yeah, I've lived in Sydney all my life. And can you tell us about some of those early memories growing up there? Uh, early memories would be just uh, lots of playing, uh, happy, happy times. Um, we had a swimming pool and I was the third of, of four children so mm-hmm. I was always into everything, wanting to yeah, you know, having two siblings before me, um, I remember dog paddling in the pool. I remember a big orange toy box in the in the playroom where I used to actually stand up and sing on it. Not that I was <laughs> very talented, um, but yeah, we're just very happy and very active family, like quite mm-hmm. sporty and, okay. um, you know, just always outdoors and enjoying life. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And was food a big part of your world from early on? Do you have any first memories of cooking or food?
0: Definitely food was a big part because my mum was a great cook and is a great cook and uh, so I was introduced to food and the family table very early on. You know, we sat down for a meal and everything was home cooked most of the time. Um, I do have one memory of some older neighbours who used to go shopping, do their grocery shopping every week, and they would bring me home a meat pie oh, um, cute. <laughs> from when I was like about two, and I would go in and help them unpack their shopping. I'm sure I was a big help, and uh, and have my my meat pie. So, and I still love meat pies. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely food and eating and. The communion of food as well and mm-hmm. enjoying that experience, sharing it with people is is a fond memory and, yeah, yeah something that I've always had, really, yeah. Great.
1: And was God or religion or any form of spirituality part of your
0: world early days? Um, yes, so my mum was a believer and she took us to Sunday school mm-hmm. and uh, later on we went to... Youth group and and fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember li- little bits about Sunday school. Um, that orange toy box that I referred to earlier. I used to stand up on top of it and sing "Away in the Manger." Oh, <laughs> um, which I'm not really sure if I knew what I was singing, but it's um, it's actually still a very special song to me when I mm. when I listen to the words of it now. Um, to think that I used to sing it, you know. With all gusto and everything when I was just a little girl. But my my experience with God early on in life was probably more of a you know, a religious experience. I didn't really mm-hmm. understand and I suppose I felt like it was, you know, a bit boring. Yeah. Not as exciting as, you know, other things you could do on the weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah. Standing on
0: the orange brush. <laughs> <Yeah>, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And how about school? Was that something you enjoyed? School. I definitely enjoyed school. I, um, I I don't know if the teachers enjoyed me being there that much. <laughs> I was I was a very sporty kid, and yeah. so I loved PE and I loved participating in that part of school. Mm-hmm. As far as learning goes, I wasn't a great learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a little bit distracted. I was mm-hmm. often talking um, and thinking about what I could do outside and. I I suppose I probably could have been, I could have applied myself a lot more, Mm -hmm. um, but it it wasn't a bad memory for me. It was, I mean, I was, spent a fair bit of time sent out of the classroom, so, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for for talking or, you know, Mm -hmm. for not listening, and, um, but, but, yeah, overall it was, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And did you know what you wanted to be when you left school?
0: Uh, well, up. as the, the, the final years of high school, actually, I had done home science in in high school, which, you know, cooking, home ec, but the school I was at, you couldn't actually study that for year 11 and 12, so I'd sort of finished doing that in year 10, and then really in year 11 and 12, uh, I just, the only thing I, I thought, maybe I could be a PE teacher because mm-hmm. I loved sports so much, but... I probably didn't apply myself enough to, to get the mark for that. And then also I I actually started uh, coaching tennis and as terrible as it sounds, I would get very frustrated with uncoordinated kids mm-hmm. in my tennis group because they were usually there because their parents wanted them to learn to play tennis, but yeah. they had it was probably a bit like me in the classroom. They had no interest really in being there. And mm. it's it's a challenge to teach teach someone when they don't want to learn. Yeah. And I suppose I started to think, well, gosh, that's what being a PE teacher is going to be about all the time, <laughs> oh, yeah. is a whole lot of people that have to come and participate that don't really want to. And so I, I suppose I sort of thought, maybe it's more that I love sport and I love playing sport than necessarily wanting to teach it. Yeah. And, so, the only other thing I was really sort of interested in was cooking. I never thought of it as being a career, but I think I was sort of a bit low on options. And so, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, my parents were, were supportive and open-minded enough to say, well, you know, let's explore that option and see, see what that would mean and how that would play out. Yeah, so...
1: Right, and what did it look like?
0: To basically become a chef, you need to do a, an apprenticeship and mm. so we looked into that and um, the part of actually, in, you know, engaging in TAFE and that, that's reasonably simple process but you have to actually have an apprenticeship. So mm-hmm. it was about finding somewhere where I could do that and fortunately my father had some connections, knew some people and so we were able to find... Um, actually, a, a big catering company that took on apprentices that I started working with initially. So, I actually spent my the time before my final exams when I probably should have been studying,
1: mm. doing
0: um doing some work experience uh, as an apprentice just to see if it was something that I was interested in. And I really loved it. Yeah. Okay. I did cut my finger, I think, on the second day, and <laughs> um, that was a bit embarrassing. But yeah, I really enjoyed the environment and. I'm a real visual learner, so mm. so that it was just right for me. So, went from there. Great. Yeah.
1: So, you became an apprentice. Yep. School's finished. Did you enjoy that, being outside the classroom?
0: Yeah, it was a pretty different world because I went to, like, you know, a private school on the North Shore of Sydney. Yeah, And okay. suddenly I was thrown into, like, commercial ki- kitchens, mm. um, obviously with a lot of, People that had had a very different upbringing to me, um, maybe had a different uh, moral code to me as well, and so it was sort of like um, it was a little bit scary, to be honest. Um, It I probably couldn't. My my older brother and sister, and then my younger brother all went on to university. And whereas when you do an apprenticeship, you sort of you finish school, and the next day you're working full time, Mm. and you don't know anything, you know, it's not like you do a course first so that you're skilled to do this job. You learn on the job and so the first day you walk in and I remember putting on my chef's coat and my neckerchief and my chef's hat and I just, you know, felt like really uncomfortable in this mm-hmm. in this clothing that I had to mm-hmm. wear when I was really just a little girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, just obviously just learning and gaining confidence and then learning new skills. I... I changed jobs a few times in the time. I moved into restaurants and uh, and yeah, it, it, it's something that you learn as you go. But I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I met such an amazing uh, variance of people, mm. um, and I think it was really good for me. It was really good for me to go from what was a fairly privileged upbringing mm. um, and a. And a very encouraging and loving and stable family environment to go into um, you know, an industry where there's a lot of uh, people who maybe have not had such a such a great start in life and mm. um, humbling and uh, character building experience really, and to just all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the pile and. As an apprentice, your first year apprentice, like you just do as you're told do it quickly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I think it was a great a great life learning experience for me. Yeah. Were
1: you kind of the rebellious one in that environment like you had been in school or did that
0: change? No not at all, no. Mm. No. And so I think um yeah, I like I don't know if I would call myself rebellious at school, like um it was probably just more I probably other people would call me rebellious. I wasn't rebellious in the sense of doing all the wrong things. I was more rebellious in the sense of not really focusing on what I needed to be focused on. Yeah. So it, that's a really great question because when I got into an environment where I wanted to learn, mm. I was actually very conscientious and quite competitive and really applied myself. So, um, and I think as life has gone on, that it's it's shown me that to be interested and to be engaged is the difference mm. between gleaning and learning from a, a, a scenario. And I, I think with my own kids as well, I've been aware of that, you know, that you know our first child just was not interested in, in sport, you yeah. know, and to just accept that and say, well, that's not you, and so you're not going to necessarily apply or excel in that area, and that's mm. okay. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and so the same in the same kind of vein like you were saying with church hadn't interested you so much at yeah. a young age. Yeah. When did that become different?
0: Okay, so that was um that was sort of a bit of a a crisis situation really, the the church thing because I was just going along in my own little world doing it my way really. If you wind back a little bit, you know, my mum wanted us we were going to the Anglican church and she wanted us to go through the process of being confirmed, mm-hmm. which was basically an exercise in studying and gaining knowledge of what Christ did and then confirming that and saying that you wanted to be a Christian. Okay. And I didn't I wasn't engaged in that process, you know, mm-hmm. it was just something my mum said we had to do. And then once we'd done that, we could do what we wanted. Yeah. Which was her way of trying her best to get us to embrace faith in Christ but for me it was sort of like it just didn't have meaning and so then it had meaning but it, I, I just haven't connected the dots at that point and then when I was about 19 years old so I was just sort of into first year or two of my apprenticeship and my father who was a very very loving father and was such a huge part of my life and really at that point if, if you were to sort of say well you know is there someone that's God, it would have been my father. Mm. Like he was, he was able to fix everything for me, you know, with his influence, his wealth, his personality, his love. And so I, I suppose I didn't really feel like I needed God because my life was pretty fine. Unfortunately, towards the end of 1986, I think it was, my father got diagnosed with terminal liver cancer And it was such a sort of sudden event, um, sort of went from, you know, him being such a huge part of my world to, gosh, you know, he might not be in my world anymore. Like, Mm. And so, so abruptly he was actually given only one to three months to live. So, you know, when you think about, like, what are you doing next month in the scheme of your daily life, Mm. the thought that, well, what I could be doing next month is going to my father's funeral was – pretty huge um and at the time I had just happened to have because God tends to work like that uh there was another apprentice working in the same uh, area as me who was actually a born-again Christian mm-hmm. and I had sort of thought this guy something about this guy he's he's just happy and mm-hmm. he just seems to really be at peace and at ease with life you know and That was attractive to me in him. And so he just happened to call in to see me. He'd been away um, traveling and he called in to see me like only days after we'd been told what we'd been told about dad. And so um, I actually shared it with him more than anything to get rid of him because he wanted (laughs) to show me all these photos from his travel. And I was like, it's not the time and he wasn't really getting the hint. And so in the end, I sort of said to him, look, you know, we've just had this news and so I need you to go. And and that was amazing because he just started to pray for me and then he actually took me out one night and was just talking to me about God really and he said to me, you know, words that I've actually never forgotten. He said to me, it's not whether your father lives or dies but where he's going to spend eternity and at that moment I actually wanted to punch him in the face (laughs) because for me it was like no it's actually not I just want my father to live like Mm. I don't for me where I was at in my walk with with God I don't care where he's going I just don't want him to go but amazingly I never forgot those words and in fact went home which still baffles me I actually went home and told my father that he'd said that to me Mm. and um My parents and I, through a recommendation of a friend, we started to go to the St Andrew's um, Cathedral in the city's healing ministry. And I would say at that point I became a Wednesday night Christian (laughs) (laughs) because I would go to that with my dad on Wednesday night. I was so desperate for my dad to live that it was like, okay, well, this is the first thing that I've faced really that my dad can't fix. So is there something beyond my dad? And that's really what shifted me to seek after whether God was real. And I did I did feel in that place um, what I now know to be the Holy Spirit. I did feel a presence, a peace, a comfort when I would go to those meetings. And then um, probably about... Going so my father did actually in fact live for another two and a half years, which was amazing. Um yeah. there was not the final part of that, the quality of life wasn't amazing. But
1: mm-hmm. so
0: in that time I actually was, I suppose, discovering God for myself and um looking looking for how this was going to be relevant to my life going forward and I had a friend who was actually uh, going down to C3 church and look, we had lived on the North shore. I had heard that C3 church was a cult that, you know, it was just this weird place and people were doing weird things. And, um, and so I can't say that I was sort of like, wow, I really want to go there. But, <laughs> but this friend of mine was going there and I was like, well, I don't want her getting caught up in this, yeah. whatever this is. And so yeah. I went with her one night and, um, It was actually in that place that I heard someone actually speak on the Holy Spirit. And I realized for me that although I'd already believed that already believed and always had believed that God was real and that He did exist, I didn't really fully understand the sacrifice of Christ, but that came. But but I had no I felt like my faith had no relevance, no power. Um uh, you know to me it was just an empty experience and when I heard someone talk about the Holy Spirit I realized immediately that that was what was missing for me in my walk with mm-hmm. Christ was that you know there was things like did I feel ashamed about the gospel did I understand the Bible you know and it was like that was all me it was just I felt like wow who told this woman about me <laughs> Um And so that was actually the beginning, really, of I would say it was a a progression from the Wednesday night, uh, Christian. I started, I I went, I actually went a few times, but initially it was such a, I suppose, a convicting experience that I actually didn't go back for some months after Mm. I, and I I spent a couple of nights trying to get that information out of my head. Mm. Um, I, I think God was definitely sort of, speaking to me, not audibly speaking to me, but through what had been said, he was sort of speaking to me about my life and I I felt like there was a decision I needed to make. It was so palpable, like, what are you going to do, Jane? Mm. Um, And my initial response to that, I'm not going to do anything and I'm not going back there. (laughs) Um, But remarkably, after like three or four months, um, my dad is still tracking along and I just rang up my friend and said I want to come back down and um come to another meeting and I actually went to about four or five meetings and I just sat there very um cautiously and uh just observing and eventually I think about the fifth meeting or something I finally sort of said to God okay you know you've got me mm. um and I responded actually to an invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit and pretty much from then on, you know, that was, I suppose that was about 28 years ago now and so since then I've been um, I've been loving God and, and enjoying having faith in Him and, and seeing great, great benefits from, from that, yeah.
1: Amazing. And was there a big um, change and shift in your lifestyle? Did people at work...
0: No Yeah, it was it was pretty radical. Like um I, I'm I'm sort of that sort of person that when I do something I really do it. Yeah. So for me it was and I think that was why I counted the cost and I I thought about it and and I think God knew that, you know, look, we've gotta let it you know, he's given us a free will and he's it's our choice. He's not forcing anything onto us. And so it was like, you know, if I'm going to make this decision, I think that was why it was such a weighty decision for me because mm-hmm. when I make this decision, I'm in and I'm committed and, and I'm going to have to change.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think one of the most surprising and wonderful things about that was that the change was nowhere near as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, I was so concerned about what people were going to think of me. Um, was I never going to have fun again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, was was being a Christian or being someone who believed in God, was that just going to be the end of my days and I was just going to be boring and miserable mm-hmm. and sit in the corner reading a Bible and not be able to be who I am? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was so not that. Um, one significant change that really occurred quickly was that I was one very much that would swear a lot in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost overnight, it was just like, there was just this knowing within me that it was just not something that was pleasing to God what mm-hmm. was coming out of my mouth, and so that was pretty radical because I sort of went from you know effing 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 to mm-hmm. like not you know saying it ever, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was remarkable. I mean, you know, we had I had apprentices who I was looking after who were after a few months apologizing to me for, for swearing. And I'm like, don't you remember? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, and just, you know, just decisions. I used to smoke a little bit and I just thought this is not good for my body. You know, I, I think I felt like um, before I felt like I could hide things, you know, whether it be from authority or my parents or my employer or whatever, whereas I just had this sense that God was there and he was with me and I wanted to please him. And so it wasn't like anyone had to say anything to me. It wasn't like anyone had to come and say, look, Jane, you know, you should clean up your mouth. You should stop smoking, you know. Um, you should stop being worried about everything, you know. It, it was just like God very gently just sort of, you know, put planted the seed, planted the thought in my mind or my heart. Maybe you should stop doing that. Maybe you should let that go. And probably the most significant thing was just The peace that came with knowing him because prior to to that i had been quite an anxious person and had found myself in situations where I was anxious to the point of actually vomiting or and just not not being able to cope in certain scenarios and and just that was probably the most significant thing knowing that I wasn't on my own anymore you know knowing that he was with me and I could like It wasn't up to me all the time. I I had someone I could lean on, you know, Mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, there was definitely a change, and there was definitely some awkward moments with long term relationships that just was like, what has happened to Jane? Mm -hmm. Um, But time is a great thing, you know, when people start something. You know, so, sometimes it's an abrupt thing and it's threatening. You know, it's threatening to relationships. Uh, does this mean she won't like me anymore? But what I have found is when, when you walk with God, when you, when you live according to, like, what he suggests, you're actually a nicer, more compassionate, you know, more patient, um, le- you know, less selfish person than, than what you were. So it really is a win-win for everybody. But just sometimes that takes a little bit of time for people to to realise, you know. Yeah. yeah.
1: And yeah. how was um, entering sort of the Pentecostal church community? Did you really fit in there or was that a bit of a journey?
0: Um. Well, probably okay because I'm fairly extroverted and animated myself. Yeah. So um, it was fun, you know, and I think that was what was lacking for me before was it just I'm a fun person and it just, I didn't really think God was fun. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, coming into the Pentecostal environment um, where it was quite animated and visual and, you know, there was noise and there was excitement and there was a demonstration of power and, yeah, it was it was fun. Um, obviously, I didn't understand a lot of it. And uh, from a point of view of theology or biblical knowledge, I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I remember one day these people up on stage playing in the worship band and one of them turned to the other one and said that was great sister and I thought, well, that's amazing that they're like siblings on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, the, you know, the person with me sort of said, oh, you know, that's not really, you know, they're not really siblings. That's just sort of what you sort of, you know, they call each other brothers and sisters in Christ and I was like, "Well, oh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, I, and look, I still, I still think... That a lot of the church is just a bit too weird you know I think that we need to just be normal and and get rid of the the things that confuse people you know life's confusing enough and and there's so many representations of what what God is or isn't and really I think the the simpler that we can keep it and and the realer if that's even a word that we Mm. can keep it yeah really helps people
1: yeah yeah
0: wow and did you meet your husband there well, no, I did not meet my husband at church. He he had actually become uh, a believer about two years before me, and we actually met on a holiday in Coffs Harbour with mutual friends. So um, there was a bunch of us that, that went away together, and one of the guys who was coming with us, he brought him along. So I met him there, and... Um, yeah, so it wasn't – I mean, obviously I had only been a believer for about six months, so the idea that he was a believer was attractive to me. Yeah, we, we got to know each other outside of church initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And you got married after a couple of years? Yeah, so we went out um, for about two years and uh, he was actually going to Lane Cove C3, which was a lot more intellectual and sort of more of a university – maybe style campus, um, mm-hmm. so he was a great asset to me because he was very much, he's quite intellectual and um, he's a great avid reader and thinker and so he taught me a lot about the Bible but um, we're a good balance for each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we went, we, we dated for about um, 18 months and then he asked me to marry him. I was actually traveling in Europe for 10 weeks and he sent me a letter and asked me to marry him and I read it oh, in wow. France and rang him up and said, yes. <laughs> How cute. <laughs> um, yeah, we got married the following February. So it we, we was probably about two and a bit years we were together and then we got married and we've been married for 25 years now.
1: Amazing. Yeah,
0: it's been wonderful.
1: <laughs> and so over this time, did you continue working in restaurants?
0: No. So I worked in restaurants. I worked in fine dining restaurants until I was about eight weeks Of having our first child so Mm -hmm. um we got married and three years after we got married i fell pregnant with our first child and so um yeah i just went down to get something off a bench one day in the kitchen and had a lot of trouble getting back up again and thought oops time to stop this (laughs) Um, so i left work just prior to having tom and then once i had the children so we have three children um i did some part-time work for a catering company sort of on weekends and in between fitting around the kids and then once uh, we had our third child I I stopped working in the kitchens and Mm -hmm. uh, I was at home full-time for a while and then I was working in my husband's engineering business in admin and accounts and data entry, riveting, riveting (laughs) stuff Um, for, for a while, yeah.
1: yeah. Wow. that wasn't you
0: no no not really I am I'm I'm reasonably organized and admin savvy but um, it was it was a bit tedious and Mm -hmm. it it became it was it was a step that we took financially while he was growing his business Um, it worked you know for me to work there part-time it worked around the kids it worked financially but the business grew to a point where he really needed someone full-time mm-hmm. and that was not really a role I wanted to do full-time. And so, you know, for the sake of his business, our marriage and my sanity,
1: <laughs> well, I resigned. <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah. And how did your first cookbook, Naked Food, how, did that come
0: out? Through? So there was a when – I, when I resigned, uh, it was a pretty of an interesting, interesting day, the day I resigned from working for my husband because – I wasn't resigning because I was going to anything in particular. I I just knew that it was time to stop doing that. And at the same time, in that same season, some friends of ours actually had a daughter who was diagnosed with leukaemia, which was all very huge. And there was a group of us women who got around this family and we wanted to do something to help them financially. And it was like, well, what can we do? None of us really had that much money, so I was like, "Well, can we can we create something? Can we do something?" And and I sort of said, "Well, look, you know, I can cook." Mm. Like, and it was just at the beginning of this is like about nine or ten years ago. It was just at the beginning of cooking and celebrity chefs, and yeah. it all just becoming something that it never was. You mm-hmm. know, it was always just a hardworking job with not much glamour at all. And suddenly, the media and um, television turned being a chef into some incredible celebrity status. And so it was a good time Um, and so I suggested, look, why don't we do – why don't we have a cooking show? Like, you know, Mm. I had never done a cooking show but (laughs) I knew that I had – I knew that I had enough ability uh, skill-wise to teach people something and, I'm, you know, from my days on the Orange Toy Box, I – Knew I could get up in front of a crowd, <laughs> so yeah, we did that. We we met at a at a girl's house um, who had just had her house done mm-hmm. by one, the Lifestyle Channel mm-hmm. so that had their garden done. So we we designed this event, which was basically the unveiling of the garden, a cooking show, and I think we had another couple of things on. And it was ticketed to raise money for this family. And so Beautiful. yeah, it was an amazing day. It was it it was a great testimony to to the power of love and, and, a, and a team.
1: Um, mm.
0: And, you know, we raised several thousand dollars for this family. Now, when I did it, you know, from the moment I began, I thought, wow, I, I think I was made to do this, mm. you know? And so from that experience, I actually went on to start a business a couple of months later and I started a cooking school and I ran a cooking school for three years and about the beginning of the second – end of the second year, um, you know, I just – a few people were saying to me, you've got all these recipes that you're cooking in the cooking school and, you know, you should do a book. And and um, I stupidly said, yeah, I should. I will. I am. I'm going to. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so that's where Naked Food came from. It was really a, it was really a story of my cooking journey mm. and um, – and it was also I had turned 40 years of age and just had started to think about my second 40 years and started to think about my dad and how I wanted to live well and live a healthy second half of my life. You know, it's hmm. on average it's easy to live the first half of your life healthy unless, you know, you're struck with some awful disease. But it's it's more of a challenge to live the second half of your life healthy and a lot of the time it's the consequence of the first half and mm-hmm. so i just sort of thought you know this is the opportunity um i did a bit of reading and i just decided that i wanted to to eat well um for my future and so that was i suppose the combination of my training as a chef my my time as a parent and my revelation on looking after my body i just combined those things together in the school and then that's what came out in the book as well yeah wow. so Yep. So
1: that healthy eating had been more of a recent
0: journey yeah. for you? Yeah. So, well, I mean, training in restaurants, r- restaurants, fine dining, the focus is not really health. No. Um, uh, it's not that it's bad food by any means. I mean, no. it's it's often a lot better food than anything highly processed or that you might sort of get into the maybe what they call the fast food category. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the definitely the, the, the focus is on on flavor on produce and on um, and on what it looks like and what and what it sells for um, mm-hmm. more than more than you know what it's doing to the insides of your body so mm-hmm. um, but there's got to be a balance in that because you know it's it's as simple as you know a, a, a tomato grown in season freshly sliced, paired with some basil, maybe a little bit of sea salt, some really great olive oil, like that's, that's naked food. That's, Mm. that's healthy food. You know, we're not, you know, it doesn't have to be mung beans and, and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) boring. (laughs) I'm not into boring. Um, So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, but yes, it was a recent um, thing. Um, In fact, I'm now 48. So it was, it was around my 40th birthday that I just sort of started to think about it. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. And does, your faith sort of feed into your food philosophy at all?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are similarities in mm. that, you know, God does talk about your body being a temple mm. and, you know, looking after that temple. Um, I think that there is definitely similarities in the fact that you need a revelation. Mm. When I say revelation, I mean the light needs to go on in your head. It's not enough for you to see someone else like believe in God and be passionate about that. You've got to get that yourself and it's the same with healthy eating. It's, yeah. it's, it's not enough to, for someone to tell you mm. that you should stop drinking two cans of Coke a day and, <laughs> you know, that you should stop smoking or that you should, you know, be eating more vegetables or it's not enough is it like you know it's like someone saying you should come to church I don't want to come to church unless (laughs) I'm wanting to go there yeah I'm not I don't want to eat healthy food unless I'm wanting to eat healthy food and Mm -hmm. so it is a revelation and it's um it's also about I think there's an alignment with what what you would know as the fruit of the spirit where you know it takes discipline It takes self-control, you know, it it takes patience. It takes those sort of things to maintain a lifestyle that is healthy. Mm. It doesn't just happen. You know, if you go shopping when you're starving, (laughs) you will buy a lot more and a lot more of the stuff you probably don't want to, you know, if if you schedule your day, that you don't have time for breakfast and by the time you sort of get to about 11.30 and you're rushing to a meeting, you're hungry, you are going to stop and buy something mm-hmm. that's convenient. Yeah. So it's about preparation, it's about self-control, it's about, you know, having disciplines in your life and nothing nothing in life is achieved without those things, you know. You're yeah. killing yourself. You don't have those in place. It, it just won't happen.
1: Mm. And so you kind of alluded to before this kind of new trendy foodie culture. It's quite interesting now because you've got that and then you've still got all your fast food chains and everything yeah. are really popular.
0: Yeah.
1: In addition to doing your cookbooks, you also do market tours, is that yeah. right? And yeah. cooking demonstrations and all that yeah. sort of stuff. How Can you talk a bit about your experience yeah. sharing your philosophy with the current
0: climate? Yeah, sure. Climate? So the market tours is a great one because... What I, I'm on a bit of a quest to, to reconnect people with where their food comes from. And mm-hmm. that's partly because of the fact that people are missing out on a whole lot of real tasty seasonal food because mm-hmm. they just have lost connection. So they'll go into a supermarket and they'll buy everything in that supermarket, whether it's in season or not, Some of it may have been sitting in cold storage for 12 months, they have no idea. They have no idea where it came from. Sometimes people don't even know what tree it came off and maybe no idea what to do with it either. Probably just always buy the the same things. You take someone to a farmer's market and particularly to the farmer's market I do my tours with in Sydney where the people selling the food at that market are the farmers, Mm. okay? And they are only selling the thing that they grow. They're not a supermarket no farmer is a supermarket. He doesn't supermarket is a is a modern concept because really if you went into a farming community you'd find one guy who's, you know, raising lambs for meat and you'd find another person who's got a dairy herd for milk and you'd find someone else who's growing garlic and someone else who's who's growing tomatoes and and then they all come together into the town center on a Saturday and they sell their produce to each other. Mm. And um, it's coming it's coming straight from from the farm you can talk to them about you know when they picked it how they how they grew it so you you suddenly become in touch with the seasons again mm. which is something that we've lost in the modern day city industrialization We just don't know when something you know it, it right now it's the middle of winter there's not really many tomatoes around because tomatoes don't grow in winter mm-hmm um, and that's why they're expensive now, because they're out of season. But in summertime when they're abundant and they're in season, they're full of flavour and they're the cheapest they're ever going to be and that's when you make your pasta sauce and bottle it for the wintertime. You know? mm-hmm. So these processes that have been lost. And so by taking people to the farmer's market, I'm just on a quest to reconnect them with their food, the people who grew their food, and for them to understand that when things are expensive – Like when it's more expensive to buy a kilo of apples than feed your family at a fast food restaurant,
1: Mm. there's
0: a reason for that. Mm. And there is the reason standing before you, this farmer with his knobbly hands and dirt under his fingernails who has the potential to lose everything if a pest comes in and ruins his crop and the potential to lose everything if we continue to buy imported food or processed food and just say, well, you know... I don't want to have those things because they're too expensive, you know. So unfortunately our food our food production has sort of been it's been screwed up because we've made food too cheap. You know, we've we've made it highly processed. Most children are more familiar with a fruit roll up than biting into a piece of fruit, you know. Mm-hmm. And and we've made it so that it can sit on the shelf for a long time. And we've made it so that it's accessible everywhere, all the time. Mm. And so now, to ask people to go back to the way things were, where you can only get strawberries for three months of the year, and you know they might be five dollars a punnet, but they'll be incredible. You know, people just go, "Well, I, you know, I can get it. I can get a dozen cinnamon donuts for a dollar. So why am I going to go there?" So mm. I'm. I, I think, like I talked about earlier, with you know, people a light going on in people's heads. Mm. For people to actually get it, they need to see it. And so when I take them on the tours and they talk to the farmers and you see them connecting and realising, wow, these mushrooms were picked two days ago, Mm. you know, by this person. You know, suddenly there's a connection. I want to support them, you know. I want to help them. And then as far as the cooking shows go, I mean, I'm trying to simplify things. I'm not – I'm just into – living, healthy, simple lifestyle. Lifestyle is key
1: mm.
0: because it has to be sustainable. So I'm not into cutting out whole food whole food groups like, you know, I quit this or I quit that or, you know, this free or that free. I don't want to mention names because I don't want to upset anyone. But, you know, the reality is that there's so many people doing things now because everyone else is doing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you've got to be gluten-free, dairy-free, you know, sugar-free, wheat-free, like you know, food-free in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So really, you know, it's 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 sad in a way the where our food has got to. It's become, I suppose, a bit like God. It's just become so complicated. It doesn't have to be. It's mm-hmm. pretty simple. Just grow it, get it out of the ground. You know, wash it if you have to, <laughs> and and eat it and enjoy it in season. Wow. Yeah.
1: And now you've got a new book about to come out yes this this one is based off some of your travels is that right
0: yeah so um okay so after doing the first book i was exhausted Mm. (laughs) um someone said to me actually after i finished the first book you know i was feeling so relieved like wow it's done we've we've shot all the photography we've put it together it's it's going to print and Mm. and then it came back and it was exciting and Mm. and uh, someone said well you know now the work begins Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sales, marketing, distribution, and I was like, oh, yeah. really? Um, yeah, that's true. Um, you can have an incredible product, but if nobody knows it's out there, oh dear. So I, I really, after doing the first book, and you know, it, it did well. We we ha- we were able to you know do two further prints of the book, and um, it helped people, and that was a thrill. But I was quite exhausted from it all, mm. and. I was also, I suppose, creatively a bit uh, shriveled because when you when you need to uh, put recipes together, it's quite a um, tedious process and it doesn't leave a lot of room for creativity because you're now recipe testing mm-hmm. and it's got to be precise and you've got to do it over and over again and so that when the person who can't cook or doesn't like cooking or has no – like great skill in cooking takes that recipe and they apply it and it works and then they feel good about themselves they they eat something great and it's a great experience and so that's mm-hmm. what that's what I'm about is empowering people to cook again and so to get that right for the audience I can't suddenly decide that I'm going to add this or add that It's got to mm-hmm. be right this is it and then on marketing the book I would then be cooking a lot of the recipes out of the book. So it was mm-hmm. quite creatively constricting because we were just stuck in this everything is naked food for the- mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in an effort to sell the book. So we actually, my husband had been in business for 15 years and we decided that we were going to actually take long service leave mm-hmm. even though we were both self-employed. Yeah. Um, but we saved up and we went on a three-month road trip from Sydney to the Margaret River in Western Australia and back, towed our boat behind us, um, wow. caught fish and lobsters and crabs and um, ate off the land as much as we could, if not from a farmer's market. We, we were traveling, living in our tent, um, cooking everything on a camp stove. And really, when you're traveling like that, you can only really buy enough food for the next two or three, four days, because mm-hmm. you just don't have the capacity to store it mm-hmm. um, when you're living out of a car, and it was just an amazing experience. And um, uh, probably only a couple of weeks into it, I thought, "Gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write about this." And I, and I was a bit annoyed, really, because I was going away to have a break, and I was like, "Already, I'm thinking about writing about <laughs> this." But um, we just had such a wonderful time, um, like living without a schedule mm. and living in just such a raw way, and so. The book I've just finished it. It's come. It's just come out from the printer, and um, it's called "Our Delicious Adventure: mm-hmm. Recipes and Stories of Food and Travel." And yeah, it's basically just a combination. It's eighty recipes, and then about thirteen story chapters as well. Just like sharing some of the adventures we had, and how the food we found, the people we met, and the beauty we saw—that is Australia. It's just wow. quite, quite amazing, and. Mm. Um, And far more people should stop going to Bali and start travelling around our incredible country and see what's there. It's just remarkable.
1: Is there a favourite recipe or story from
0: the trip? Well, there's a lot of seafood in this book. I mean, there's a whole chapter on seafood in this book um, as an ode to my husband who caught so much. Um, I wouldn't say there's a favourite. There's definitely definitely some great memories attached to the recipes which Mm. I share um, at the beginning of each recipe definitely the bottom of western Australia as far as travel goes was was amazing and a place that that was just so beautiful and I, I suppose when you talk about the connection with God and food and that that was one thing on that trip that it was just we were really in awe of of what what God has created like mm. it, you know and just being connected in that way where you had enough time to enjoy it and observe it and Mm. absorb it um and another thing that sort of came out of it was that I've always loved photography but never put my hand to it seriously and never had a lot of time necessarily to do so but because we were free and because we were seeing just beautiful things every day Mm. um there's a whole lot of my travel photography in this book as well, oh, which is oh. pretty exciting and scary at the same time. I was wondering about that. So, you, whether you had a photographer follow yeah. you guys, so you yeah, did. It. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So I did all of that as well, which was yeah, which was a fun thing to do and and brings brings the story to life, really. Yeah. Amazing.
1: Yeah. And if people want to get the book, do they jump on your website? Yeah, or? yeah.
0: JaneGrover.net. I mean, it will be in bookshops and local stores as well in the next few weeks. But yeah, Fantastic. it's always available through me as well.
1: And then you've spoken a bit about family life yeah. and the role of food in community. Do you have any reflections being a mom and being a wife and having your career and specifically with food?
0: Yeah, um, look, I, th- I think that um, one of the, the main things that I think people can glean from my experience is that food is not just To nourish you and to sustain you it's an opportunity as well to connect um we've always made it a a priority to have the family table and to eat at the table not every night and as the children have got older um that's you know someone's out and this person's out and you know you end up having a tv dinner on your lap every now and then but i find that when The communication you know the TV the phones everything is put away and you gather at the table around some some young food Um, it's just it's a it's a safe place it's a relaxing place and and it is a place where communication thrives and and people can feel listened to and heard and affirmed so Mm -hmm. I think um I think that in the the rush of the life that a lot of us lead these days, you can't underestimate the power of just stopping and making that a priority and making time for the family table. So Mm. that would definitely be a big thing. I think also that it's for me, it's a way of expressing love. So, you know, I love food. I love cooking. I'm passionate about it and I can't help myself. Mm. Um, So if my kids have friends over, uh, you know, they'll say, no, don't go to any trouble, mum, but, you know, I can't help myself, I, you know, I'll bake a cake or make pizzas for them or whatever it might be and um, and I think your children see that. Like I remember my son walking through the kitchen one day and he said, oh, there's always something bubbling or <laughs> smells or and I think, well, I think it's creating great memories for them and hopefully um, to the point where they will want to prioritise that for themselves, yeah. I think that that there's nourishment that comes to your soul and, you know, to you as a person just communing over food that can't be got any other way. Mm. Um, and I think Jesus even knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's definitely... And family is a massive thing for me. Like, I think that it's being a mum... Um, is the greatest privilege I've ever had. Um, it's probably the hardest thing I've done and it's probably the most rewarding thing that I've done. And um, and the books are great and the shows are great, but they're the ones I live with every day. Mm. And, um, and it's really the legacy that I leave for them is, you know, huge. Mm. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. And for your journey, has there been a particular bible story or scripture or figure that's been significant for you
0: oh that's a good question food wise probably not i mean you know there's not that much in the word like i you know i know there's the daniel diet and there's you know (laughs) (laughs) i love the fact that jesus said a few times let's just go over there and have a rest and have something to eat Mm -hmm. um i think bible figure wise um Probably, probably Mary, mm-hmm. Mary and Esther. I think when I watched the Passion of the Christ, what what sort of I connected with the most was how Mary felt, mm. um, watching that happen to her son. Yeah. So yeah, and definitely I love the the first chapter in Luke where the angel actually comes and tells Mary that she's going to be pregnant with God. <laughs> And I just love the way that she responded, like, you know, be it to me as you have said. Like, I, I love the simplicity of her. I think that's how I am. I'm not a complicated person mm-hmm. um, and I haven't bought, therefore, I haven't bought that into my walk with God. I think it's just, it's pretty simple, you know, spend time with him and as he leads you, just trust him, go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah. And I think Esther. I like Esther because she was bold. Mm. I like Esther because she was willing to, I suppose, put herself out there for the sake of her people. And um, and she had a lot of guts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I know I'm erring on the women. Paul, the apostle, is very impressive. Um, (laughs) Exhaustingly impressive, but... (laughs) Uh, John the Baptist, wow, (laughs) incredible. Um, Yeah, so... Great.
1: And I'm wondering if you can sort of sum up for us what's really at the
0: core of of your beliefs. Okay, so, look, I think... um, I think what is at the core of my beliefs is that I am insufficient and he makes me sufficient, uh, and that is in every area. So, I mean, if you begin with just the very nature of what what the whole story of the Bible and the idea of Jesus coming, that the whole crux of that is that we're sinners and we need a savior Mm-hmm. So that's my insufficiency, you know, his sufficiency, you Mm -hmm. know. And then as I walk through this life, um, you know, there's days where I'm overwhelmed and I don't behave the way I want to. And again, my insufficiency, his sufficiency, that his grace is sufficient, you know, that it's nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. And it's, it's... Some people see that as a crutch um some people see it as as you know a weakness but to me i believe that if you can get to a place where you know that without him you're stuffed (laughs) it's a great place to be you know and so that's it's it's and, and remembering remembering that you weren't always at that place so remembering how I, I still remember how I felt when I wasn't connected to Christ. Mm. And I still remember how I felt about how other people like made me feel who maybe were connected to Christ. And so it's very important to me that some people made me feel accepted and loved and embraced and other people made me feel judged and not good enough. And so for me it's, it's about knowing that it's his grace that is enough for me and so it's his grace that is enough for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah
1: that's wonderful that's really cool what what are you hoping the future looks like what are your dreams for years to come
0: oh you know actually the older i get the more content i become so it's like i'm so incredibly thankful for my life for my marriage, for my my children, um, for my c- community, my extended family, my friends, my church. Um, I'm I'm thankful for the food journey that was revived. You know, um, really, I laid it down to to be a mother, and um, I'll always be a mother. But I'm I'm really thankful for for what what has happened over the last nine years. So, look, I suppose. I, I sort of start each year sort of going, well, God, what are we going to do this year? I'm not, I haven't got a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. I, I have, I'd like to travel more. I'd like to travel the top half of Australia because we've done the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd like to see my children have wonderful, rich, fulfilling, contented lives, you know, connected to Christ. I, I don't, I don't want a lot you know I'm pretty, I'm pretty content and um, just more of the same and, and just enjoying every day and and I suppose um, I suppose inspiring people would be a big thing like just to, to have a go mm-hmm. you know um, you might not think that what you have is very significant you might not think that it even matters but if it's something that you love and you're into it, then just step out and have a go and live your life. Don't, don't wait. Like, don't wait until everything's perfect because it's never going to be perfect. Mm. Just have a go, you know, and, and, and understand that, that the people that you might aspire to were just like you one day. You know, they didn't just be born with everything together. It's been hard work and a process of, you know, stepping out, persisting, um you know getting up each day and and taking the next step that that someday you you wake up and there's something there you know Mm -hmm. that's what a family is a family is you know giving birth three times breastfeeding through the night you know changing nappies all the unglamorous stuff you know but now in my latest book there's a beautiful photo of my family at the end of the book and i look at that and i go wow how did that happen Mm. But it's just been a gradual process, you know. So more of the same, more of the same. But um, and you know, inspire others to to travel, to see the world, and just live and enjoy life. You know, God is fun. He's he's created this world. He he wants us to enjoy it. He doesn't want us to be just you know always worrying and nervous and not sure. And have a go. <laughs> Barrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.